0: The other podcast, if you give it a ch- this one is I, I give him a lot of credit for, or give this guy a lot of credit for because you have the AE podcast, which is the Attitude Era pay per views. This guy goes through every
1: Raw oh from God. the Attitude Era. But this is what's cool. It's the raw it's um Raw Attitude Era podcast, is what it's called. Mm. This guy is great because he goes through in like thirty minutes, we'll break down the whole show. But he does it very quickly, broken down almost into one liners. One man pod? Fun. Yeah. Very digestible. Very
0: Henry. Henry, huge pecs. the suplex suplex throwing human duplex.
1: That's it. Thank you, man. I'm ashamed I did not know about it. Dude, that's they need another big fat guy and just name two guys named the Duplexes and they're just like suplex machines. Martin, get on it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I'll bulk up.
1: It's it's a very good show and I just feel it's important because like I I, we are I mean again we had a lot of you know. Podcasts that we looked up to that were, like, mm. you know, what they inspired
0: us to do this, and it's it's cool to to keep trying to plug other ones as well too that are just starting out. So, listen to Gore Horseman and the Raw Attitude Air Podcast are two very important
1: ones. to Go check out. Ooh, baby, I like it.
0: Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And, of course, do not forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Just like people in a few other countries have done recently, specifically Egypt and Saudi Arabia. That's right, we now have listeners in the Middle East, and that's friggin' awesome. So we just want to welcome our new friends to the growing number of Raw Attitude Podcast enthusiasts. Just uh, ignore that abbreviation. Also, with Egypt now on board, that means we officially have listeners on every single continent except Antarctica. I don't know what their holdup is, but hopefully they get their act together and subscribe sometime soon. And of course, a huge thank you to the New Blood Rising podcast and their guest host, Martin Dixon, from Unappreciated Scholars, who were kind enough to give a shout-out to us on their podcast, which you heard at the top of the show. And no, I don't mind that they called it the Raw Attitude Era podcast. It was still an awesome gesture and a very unexpected surprise, and I'm incredibly appreciative that they would take the time to do that. Not only that... But our number of listens skyrocketed this past week, and I can only assume that is almost entirely due to them mentioning us on their show. So the least I can do is return the favor and tell you to listen to the new Blood Rising podcast. They were previously covering the Vince Russo era of latter-day WCW pay-per-views, but have since transitioned into covering the Invasion angle from the WWF in 2001. All good stuff, so please give them a listen. If you're a fan of this show, I think you'll definitely like that podcast as well. And of course, please go to unappreciatedscholars.com to read Martin Dixon's column, Unskippables, where he discusses certain songs he can never bring himself to skip when they come up on his playlists. And gentlemen, if any of you ever want to appear on this show, you officially have an open invitation. Alright, so without any further ado, let's get into it. It is March 2nd, 1998, and we are live from Cleveland, Ohio. As I've pointed out in the past, the live episodes of Raw tend to be much more eventful than the ones which are pre-taped six days in advance, so hopefully tonight's show will live up to that billing. We open with a recap of the Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels feud, which also includes footage of Austin's confrontation with Mike Tyson from back on January 19th. Why is that relevant? Because tonight, for the first time in six weeks, Mike Tyson is returning to Monday Night Raw. Interestingly, Kevin Kelly's narration of the recap says that tonight kicks off the road to WrestleMania, which is noteworthy because we're only one month away from the event. These days, the road to WrestleMania designation typically begins on the night after the Royal Rumble, so it seems like that road has become much longer over the years. Cue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Tonight, there are plenty of signs making reference to which wrestler is Cartman's father, as the South Park episode which teased that cliffhanger had just aired five days prior. Another quality sign simply says, Lick My Balls, which I posted a picture of on our Twitter, at RawAttitudePod. There was also a fat dude holding up a sign which said, Andy Gray is single, and he includes the gentleman's full phone number on the sign. I won't tell you what that number is, but if you'd like to give it a call just to see if it's still active, you can see the sign three minutes and nine seconds into the episode on the WWE Network. Since this was 1998, I'm willing to bet that was a landline. We open with Degeneration generation X coming to the ring for some talkie time. Triple H echoes the sentiment that tonight begins the road to WrestleMania, and then he calls out Owen Hart, who Hunter claims is holding his European Championship. He makes an interesting analogy, and then he proceeds to show the world that he was the original Val Venus.
2: Owen,
1: I'm going to go through you like a hot knife through butter. And speaking of hot knives, ladies, I've got a utensil that I'm sure you'd all kill to get in your
2: drawers.
0: Shawn Michaels then grabs the mic and says that when Mike Tyson shows up tonight, DX is going to make him an offer that he can't refuse. However, if he makes the wrong decision, DX will make sure that he never forgets who they are. HBK then turns his attention to Stone Cold Steve Austin and says that the toughest SOB in the WWF is not tough enough to defeat him at WrestleMania. He says that Austin better put on his dancing boots because tonight he will be boogieing to the sound. Of sweet chin music. Austin's theme then hits and he comes to the ring, presumably because he couldn't just stand by backstage while Michaels attempted to make terrible puns. Austin marches right into the ring and gets in HBK's face, but before anything can happen, the lights go out. Sure enough, Kane and Paul Bearer stand at the top of the ramp. You may recall that last week Bearer called out Austin, so it looks like they're about to make good on their promise. He grabs a mic and says that Austin won't have to worry about WrestleMania, because tonight Kane will send him straight to hell. They head back through the curtain, and the lights go out one more time. When they come back on, DX is no longer at ringside, so apparently the ability to make people disappear runs in the family, since we saw The Undertaker make Seth Rollins vanish last summer. Austin exits the ring and heads to the commentary table, where he pushes Michael Cole to the ground and grabs his headset. That alone makes this a five-star show already. He amusingly says he isn't impressed by Kane's ability to turn the lights on and off, and he'll whip his ass and Mike Tyson's ass tonight if Tyson tries to get in his way. And speaking of which, we then cut backstage where a rather long limo arrives, Shane McMahon pops out first, but then right behind him is the aforementioned Mike Tyson. One of those men is the biggest badass in sports or entertainment history, and the other is Mike Tyson. After a quick commercial break, we get footage from last week where the New Age Outlaws got into their car to leave the arena as Road Dog filmed the entire thing with his personal handheld camera, but they were then ambushed by Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, who proceeded to smash the shit out of their automobile before they drove off. This segues us back into the arena, where Road Dogg and Billy Gunn walked to the ring, with both of them wearing neck braces as though they were Nikki Bella during the pre-show at WrestleMania 32. A dumpster is positioned at ringside because that is their new mascot, but Road Dog says they weren't happy to see that mascot last week when Funk and Foley put it behind their car to trap them at the arena. As a result of that assault, he says the outlaws have filed charges of murder in the first degree. Now, I'm no lawyer, but it seems like it would be difficult to charge someone with murder when the two victims are still alive. That's just me, though. I'm no David Otunga. I don't know how these things work. Road Dog then directs our attention to the Titan Tron, where he shows the footage that he took from his own personal camera last week. Amusingly, the last line Road Dog utters before the attack begins is when he tells Michael Cole that he looks like Todd Pettengill, so props to him for that. Sadly, the shaky camera footage barely shows anything once Funk and Foley start smashing the car, but on the plus side, I think it may have inspired the Blair Witch Project, which would come out a year and a half after this. Road dog then says they have a doctor's note which will prevent them from wrestling tonight, but Commissioner Slaughter then shows up on the Titan Tron. Now, I want you to listen very closely here, because I'm 99% sure that Slaughter refers to Jesse James as Raw dog. but you be the judge.
1: She says we do not have to wrestle tonight. There will be no match tonight. I'm
0: sorry. Raw dog. So there you have it. Commissioner Slaughter somehow confused Jesse James with the act of having sexual intercourse without using a condom honest mistake. He tells the outlaws he knows they aren't actually hurt, and he orders them to defend their WWF tag team titles right now, which segues us to our first match of the evening, the New Age Outlaws versus Disciples of Apocalypse members Skull and 8-Ball. However, after only about a minute of some brawling, the outlaws whip 8-Ball into the dumpster, and Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie then throw open the lids and pop out of it. The outlaws run away through the crowd, resulting in a count-out victory for DOA. They may have gotten away this time, but it appears that the days of holding those titles are likely numbered for Billy Gunn and the Raw Dog. After commercial break, Marvelous Mark Mero heads to the ring by himself, but Sable emerges from the curtain shortly thereafter, so Merrow gets mad at her and makes her go backstage again, presumably right into the loving arms of Brock Lesnar. Merrow's opponent tonight is... Tom Brandy! Yes, that's right. These two have reignited their feud. This is the first time they fought each other since January 19th, which was also the last time Mike Tyson was on Raw. Hmm. Is Iron Mike requesting his favorite match every time he comes to the show? I think he is. I think he is. A few minutes in, Luna Vachon heads to ringside, much to the sadness of the crowd, who presumably wanted more Sable. The match then ended when Brandy bounced off the ropes, but Luna grabbed his foot and tripped him up. He then ducked his head out of the ring to yell at Luna, and she proceeded to slap him in the face in full view of the referee, who somehow did not disqualify Mero, but rather just lectured Luna instead. Mero then used this opportunity to hit Brandy with a low blow, and then he hit him with his TKO finisher for the three count. After the match, Luna ran into the ring to celebrate with a confused Mero. He put his arms up as if to ask what was going on, and she then proceeded to kiss him. The artist, formerly known as Goldust, with no face paint or costume whatsoever, then snuck up behind Mero and started beating on him, and Luna then joined in on the assault, so it appears that her kiss was just a setup. As you might expect, this then caused Sable to run down to ringside, because she clearly wants to help out the man who constantly treats her like shit. She tosses Luna out of the ring as referees run in and try to hold her back. Mero then starts yelling at Sable again for some reason, so she once again pushes him on his ass. Sable exits the ring, but then Mero yells at her to get back in. She angrily returns to the ring, but Mero then cowardly ducks out. For those of you scoring at home, here is how every single segment with Mark Mero and Sable has gone over the past few weeks. Mero comes to ringside with Sable. He sends her backstage because she gets more cheers than him. She eventually comes back to ringside anyway they yell at each other after the match, she finally stands up to him, and the cycle repeats over and over, seemingly until the end of time. For some reason, Sable can't stand up for herself before a match, but once it's over, she turns into Sarah Connor. Go figure. Next up, we have a WWF European title match, Champion Owen Hart versus Mark Henry. Mark Henry walks down the ramp with the Nation of Domination, but Commissioner Slaughter cuts them off before they can get to the ring. He tells The Rock, Farouk, Kama, and Dilo that they have to go backstage and can't be at ringside for this match. At this point, why even bother doing that? They've been accidentally ruining each other's matches for weeks now. You might as well keep them out there so they can fuck it all up again. The match begins, but about a minute into it, China comes to ringside, which leads me to wonder why Commissioner Slaughter doesn't just come back out and make her leave as well. But as you know, every time you look for logic in wrestling, a buffalo gets its wings. In what was a perfectly serviceable big man versus little man match, Owen eventually managed to slap the sharpshooter on Henry. However, once he did, China got up on the ring apron, so Owen released the hold and walked toward her, causing China to step back down. While the referee was checking on Henry, Owen went to the top rope. China then pushed him off the turnbuckle into the waiting arms of the world's strongest man, who put him in a bear hug with Owen seemingly unconscious. The referee picked his arm up twice, and both times it fell to his side. However, before he could drop Owen's arm a third time, China came into the ring and hit Henry with a low blow, causing him to win by, what else, disqualification, and allowing Owen to keep his European title. After the match, Michael Cole asked China why she did that, to which she replied, because I can. I think the actual answer is pretty obvious. She allowed as much damage to be done to Owen as possible, but she made sure he didn't lose the belt because he's defending it against Triple H at WrestleMania in a few weeks. Come on, Cole, that one didn't take a rocket surgeon. Our next match is WWF Light Heavyweight Champion Takamichi Noku and NWA Tag Team Champions The Headbangers versus NWA members The Rock and Roll Express and Barry Windham, accompanied by Jim Cornette. Jeff Jarrett is not at ringside, so it appears he has followed through on his statement from last week, where he said he was leaving the NWA. This was a pretty short match, and I would like to tell you how it ended, but unfortunately the camera crew completely missed the finish. The last we saw was Thrasher rolling up Robert Gibson with Cornette about to enter the ring, but instead Kevin Dunn thought it would be more interesting to focus on Mosh and Ricky Morton fighting outside the ring. Thankfully, they do show a replay after the match. Cornette came into the ring with a tennis racket, but Thrasher took it from him and KO'd Gibson with it instead, so now we can all rest easy knowing how that went down. Cornette then grabs a mic and challenges the headbangers to put the NWA tag team titles on the line next week, so if you're thinking of killing yourself, don't do it until next Tuesday or you'll miss out. And now... Cue up the credits for the second hour, and it's time to step into the war zone. Vince McMahon is in the ring, and in what seems like a very familiar sight, he introduces Iron Mike Tyson, who comes to the ring with three members of his entourage. Vince asks Tyson who he thinks will win the WWF Championship match at WrestleMania, but before he can answer, he gets interrupted by DX's theme music. Sean, Hunter, and China head to the ring, closely followed by a bunch of WWF officials who want to make sure there isn't a repeat of the last time Tyson showed up. HBK grabs a mic and says he isn't out there to disrespect Tyson like Steve Austin did. He's out there to look Tyson in the eye and call him out face to face. Tyson says they can do it right now, so both men tell their respective entourages to exit the ring until only Sean and Tyson are left in opposite corners. The crowd is absolutely going nuts for this, and rightfully so. You probably already know what happens by now, but I'll play it for you anyway, because it's pretty awesome. just heard was hbk and tyson meeting in the middle of the ring and staring each other down then pushing and shoving each other until tyson signaled to sean he could have the first punch sean grabs tyson by his wwf attitude shirt and cocks his fist and then hbk tears off the shirt to reveal a dx shirt underneath and mike tyson is your newest member of degeneration x sean and tyson hug it out and celebrate with triple h in china and then they proceed to do matching crotch chops in vince mcmahon's direction as dx has seemingly made fools of everyone once again an absolute classic Attitude Era moment, which is still pretty awesome even 18 years later. The most famous boxer in the world joining the WWF's top heel stable? Amazing. You could certainly question the decision to turn your main WrestleMania celebrity into a bad guy, but Tyson was already hated by a lot of people at this time for the infamous ear-biting incident, and even the WWF fans were booing him when the segment started, so why not embrace it? Credit where credit is due, this was a lot of fun, and the crowd absolutely ate it up because I don't think anyone was expecting Tyson to side with DX. Great stuff. So how do you follow that? Well, I think the answer is obvious. Steve Blackman versus Kama Mustafa. Yet again, the other nation members accompany their teammate to the ring, and yet again Commissioner Slaughter emerges from backstage to tell them they're banned from ringside. you think they would have gotten the hint by now. Although, I think it's fair to question why Slaughter let China come to ringside, but not the four members of the nation. Racist! pretty dull match here, which ended when Blackman got Kama in his submission finisher, which kind of looks like the Rings of Saturn, but The Rock and Farouk ran into the ring and beat down Blackman before Kama could tap, resulting in, you guessed it, another disqualification, keeping Blackman's undefeated streak intact. Farouk then hit Blackman with a Dominator, then Rock nailed him with a rock bottom, and they put the boots to him until Ken Shamrock ran out from backstage to chase them off. Unfortunately, Kama did not vacate the ring quickly enough, so Shamrock caught him with a belly-to-belly suplex. Shamrock and Blackman then exchanged a fist bump, as I held out hope that history could somehow be altered and these two could form a tag team, but alas, life was just not meant to be that awesome. Next up, we get the Monday Night Raw debut of Tennessee Lee. Who is Tennessee Lee, you ask? You may remember him as Colonel Robert Parker from WCW, a heel manager whose gimmick was loosely based on Elvis Presley's talent manager, Colonel Tom Parker, but whose wardrobe more closely resembled Colonel Sanders. He spoke in a thick southern accent, chomped on cigars, and would often fan himself during matches as if to say, Boy, howdy, this match has got me sweating more than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. There is one particularly infamous story related to Colonel Parker's WCW days, which you've likely heard about. Back in 1993, WCW signed a team called the Ebony Experience, who previously had a great deal of success in the Global Wrestling Federation. The team consisted of two real-life brothers, Lash Huffman and Booker Huffman, who we know better as Stevie Ray and 2013 WWE Hall of Fame member Booker T. WCW renamed the team Harlem Heat and changed their individual names to Cole and Kane. Yes, that's right, folks. Stevie Ray was the original Kane, and it was spelled the exact same way. But that's not the infamous part. WCW had to figure out a way to debut Harlem Heat, and what was their idea? Well, Harlem Heat were given Colonel Robert Parker for a manager with the gimmick being that they were a pair of prisoners he won in a card game. To further drive the point home on several house shows, Booker and Stevie were dressed in prison jumpsuits and wore shackles on their legs. So, just to recap that, you had a southern white man literally owning two African-American men who were confined to shackles. WCW, where the Emancipation Proclamation was considered to be merely a suggestion. Thankfully, there's no longer any racism in wrestling, so we can all be thankful for that. Your
1: predecessors, the Wild Samoans. Everybody remembers Alpha and Sika. Alpha and Sika were the the Wild Samoans, all right. And I'd like to remind you that you're just one generation away from a bone through your nose.
0: But anyway, back to Raw. So what is Tennessee Lee doing in the World Wrestling Federation? Tonight, he's here to introduce us to the man he will now be managing. And it's none other than Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Yes, for some reason, Jeff Jarrett has gone back to his former country singer gimmick, complete with a light-up hat and glasses and his signature spelling of his name J E double J A double R E double T. Now, you might think this could make a little bit of sense given the fact that Jarrett had a fair amount of success with the gimmick in the past, holding the Intercontinental Championship on 3 separate occasions while calling himself a country singer. However, it seems a bit strange to me because when Jarrett returned to the WWF five months ago, he cut a workshoot shoot promo aimed at Vince McMahon, who was sitting at ringside on commentary, where Jarrett belittled his previous tenure in the WWF, and as a side note, yes, this is the exact same promo I played a clip of back in episode three of this podcast, where Jarrett said Austin 316 was blasphemous, which legitimately pissed off Stone Cold. So let's go back to that same promo in October of 1997 and see what Jeff had to say about the Double J gimmick and his country song, With My Baby tonight
1: remember the gold tooth
0: the gold tooth yeah Yeah, you
1: think it's real cute and funny remember the gold tooth the country music star Vince you had a vision of what you wanted double j Jeff Jarrett to be and quite honestly and all due respect your vision sucked yeah it, it may have Bitch, you told me to come out here tonight and shoot, and that's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) Right between your eyes. You can take with my baby tonight and stick it up your butt. Because from here on out, it's gonna be Jeff Jarrett's way.
0: Apparently, Jeff has really reversed his opinion on how much he thought the Double J gimmick sucked. Also, speaking of racism in wrestling, what else did Jarrett say in that very same promo? You booked me with a clown, a drug addict, oh, Lord.
1: a black man who can't even speak the English language.
0: Ah, uh, yes, that's right. So there you have it. Jeff Jarrett has returned to his country singer gimmick for reasons which no one can quite explain, and he has aligned himself with Tennessee Lee, who, for the record, spells his name T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-L-E-E. Is this an upgrade or a downgrade from Jarrett being in the N-W-A? you be the judge. His first opponent is someone who is also stuck with the shitty gimmick, double F Flash Funk. Pretty meh match here. The finish came when Flash went to the top rope to go for his 450 splash, but Jarrett distracted the referee. Tennessee Lee then crotched Flash on the top rope and threw him to the canvas. Apparently this didn't draw any suspicion from Earl Hebner for some reason. Oh, Flash Funk's on the top rope. I'm gonna turn my back now. Now I'll turn back around. Oh look, he somehow fell to the ground. He must be very clumsy. Jarrett then put Flash in the figure four and picked up the submission victory. He then celebrated with his trademark strut alongside his new manager. I guess we'll see how well round two of this gimmick goes, but I'm not holding out much hope. As a side note, I know Wade Barrett is going to be leaving the WWE pretty soon, but if he ever returns, do you think he would get over if he spelled his name w ha ha Just a thought, but I think I just saved that man's career. Anyway, we then get a pre-taped segment where we find out that another celebrity will be attending WrestleMania 14, and it is Jennifer Flowers. Obviously, the term celebrity is up for debate in this instance. If you don't remember who Jennifer Flowers is, she became famous for having a sexual relationship with Bill Clinton, which she claims lasted for 12 years, from 1977 to 1989, and yes, Bill was married to Hillary for that entire duration. When Bill testified under oath in January of 98, he confirmed that he did indeed have a sexual relationship with Jennifer Flowers, so there you go. Clearly, if you're the WWF and you have a chance to bring her to WrestleMania, you, uh, have to do it, I guess? Or you could maybe spend a little extra cash and bring in a real celebrity who was relevant in 1998, like, I don't know, Carrot Top? Just spitballing. And you know Carrot Top would have gone for it too, and maybe even invented some goofy props for the occasion. Huge missed opportunity there. Backstage, Michael Cole catches up with DX and Mike Tyson. He asks Tyson why he joined DX, to which Tyson says, Stone Cold is gonna get knocked out cold. And then he leaves. For my money, if they wanted to make him a complete asshole, they should have had him say he was going to bite off Austin's ear, but I suppose this worked well enough. Next up, J.R. and Jerry Lawler tell us that Hawk and Animal are still not speaking to each other. We then get a video montage of LOD's career and the subsequent confrontation between them from last week, and I'm kind of surprised that neither one of them is actually on the show this week, since that brawl was such a huge deal. But hey, you can't just leave out Steve Blackman versus Kama. I mean, let's not be ridiculous. And now it's time for your main event showdown. The lights go out, and Kane and Paul Bearer head to the ring. Bearer grabs a mic and says it was a shock when Mike Tyson joined DX, but it'll be an even bigger shock to Steve Austin when he wakes up tomorrow in the pits of hell next to The Undertaker. Austin's music then hits, but as soon as he comes out from backstage, he heads over to the side of the ramp where he sees Triple H. Shawn Michaels then immediately ambushes him with a superkick. HBK stands over him and crotch chops, then holds up his WWF championship. DX then heads backstage, and when Austin recovers about a minute later, he runs backstage, to chase after them. So, uh, maybe that Austin Kane confrontation isn't going to happen after all, then? After a quick commercial break, Jim Ross tells us that DX has left the building, but Austin is backstage tearing up the arena looking for them anyway for some reason. Bear and Kane are still in the ring, so Bear asks Kane to go fetch the ring bell. Kane goes over to the timekeeper, but when he does, a planted fan in an Austin 316 shirt apparently grabs him, so Kane yanks the plant over the guardrail. Beats him up and throws him into the steel steps. I suppose that's the WWF's version of a don't try to get involved PSA? Kane then does grab the ring bell and a mustachioed timekeeper Mark Eaton and he tosses both into the ring. Bearer says he would like Eaton to toll the ring bell ten times in memory of the undertaker. He does so and then Bearer awesomely says that Eaton should toll it one more time for himself and Kane then proceeds to hit him with both a chokeslam and a tombstone. Bearer says that Kane has one more tombstone left to deliver and he asks for someone to come to the ring. As you might expect, the Undertaker's gong hits, and the lights go out, with purple light then covering the ring. The gong keeps sounding, but Bearer reassures Kane it isn't really the Undertaker. However, we then see a coffin at the top of the ramp, which gets hit by a bolt of lightning. The coffin is destroyed, and we see the Undertaker lying motionless, but then he does his signature Jason Voorhees sit-up, so it appears he is still alive after all. Taker says he's disappointed with Kane. Did he really think that burning his casket would destroy him? Well, I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, burning someone alive is usually pretty effective, I would imagine. But no, he was not dead. He was in a mythical land where he was doing some spiritual healing. So, heaven? Should I play the Wrestler Heaven clip right now? No, no, sorry, sorry. Um, I'll resist. You know what? This is also a pretty famous Attitude Era moment, so I'm going to play this clip for you as well, because it's also quite awesome. Enjoy.
2: What I was doing was soothing the souls of my parents. Because I had to explain to them why I would have to do the one thing I promised never to do. Uh oh! Hey! You're not the Phenom anymore! I'm standing next to the real Phenom! Uh oh. What's he gonna do now? What hideous power! Pal- Whoa! And Attacker! I will walk straight through the fires of hell to face you, Cain. And when you look into the eyes of your older brother, you will understand why I am the most feared entity in the World Wrestling Federation. You will understand why I am the Reaper of Wayward Souls and you will understand why. I am the Lord of Darkness. (laughs) There's one fight that I want you to think about between now and Wrestlemania 14, March 29th. I want you to remember when we were small children and we would begin to fight Mother and father are always there to pull me off of you. Well, this time, there won't be anyone to save you. May the hounds of hell eat your rotting soul, and you will rest.
0: As you could probably guess from listening to that clip, Kane raised his arms and caused a burst of fire to explode on the stage, but The Undertaker walked right through it, and thankfully he was much more successful here than he was at Elimination Chamber 2010 when he got scorched by his own pyro. The Undertaker previously promised his parents he would never fight Kane, but apparently he got the thumbs up from them while he was in purgatory, so the fight is on. Thankfully, even though this is a super personal feud, Taker is a company man through and through, so he'll be kind enough to wait for WrestleMania 14 instead of fighting Kane right now. Smart move. Don't make a bad business decision during your insanely intense blood feud. Of course, with that being said, it was still goddamn awesome, and a great way to wrap up this episode of Monday Night Raw. So let's go to the wrap-up.
1: Yo, yeah. I slayed them C's back in the rec room era My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror I freak beat slamming like Iron Chic. We dedicated to cats that's been thugging Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan uh, I'm bananas, uh, out of my fucking mind They won't let me back in Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan stage, Now the rock and Stone Cold on my favorite maniacs yeah. The top rooster to plucking, chickens when they clucking
0: Cause the WWF stands for women where we fucking the ratings recap. Last time Mike Tyson was on the show, Monday Night Raw scored a rating of 4.0, which was the show's highest rating of all time. Sure enough, Tyson's appearance tonight bumped the rating up again, this time to a very solid 3.8, which is up quite significantly from last week's rating of 3.2. Of course, Nitro was once again victorious in the ratings, putting up a very strong 4.8, which was up from last week's 4.6. So what could you have been watching on Nitro instead of Raw? Let's find out. Chris Benoit defeated Scotty Riggs. Juventude Guerrero defeated Chavo Guerrero in a loser has to change his last name to something which does not sound like the other guy's last name match. Okay, well, not really. Prince Ayakeda defeated Psychosis. Raven defeated Disco Inferno. The Public Enemy defeated the dream team of Hugh Morris and the Barbarian. Goldberg defeated Sick Boy. Diamond Dallas Page beat Hammer by DQ to retain his United States Championship. The British Bulldog beat Scott Norton by DQ. Conan defeated Super Callow. Scott Steiner defeated a somehow still employed hacksaw Jim Duggan. Booker T and Dean Malenko defeated Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero. That sounds like a pretty good match, actually. Bret Hart beat Brian Adams by DQ, and Randy Savage and Sting defeated Hollywood Hogan and Scott Hall in the fourth DQ finish of the night. Obviously, they've been inspired by Raw. Once again, Nitro was chock full of wrestling, putting on a whopping 13 matches. No one can accuse them of skimping the fans in that regard, that's for sure. However, if given the choice between the two shows, for tonight, I'm taking the WWF. The Raw Synopsis For the first time since I started doing this podcast, I feel completely comfortable giving an unequivocal 100% thumbs up to an episode of Monday Night Raw. This episode featured two Attitude Era moments which are still very well remembered today, Mike Tyson joining DX, and The Undertaker returning after a six-week absence to tell Kane he will fight him at WrestleMania. In addition to that, Owen Hart vs. Mark Henry was enjoyable, and seeing the return of Double J was certainly interesting from a what-the-fuck perspective. Much of the rest of the show was filler, but we did get Sergeant Slaughter referring to Jesse James as Raw Dog, so who can be opposed to that? Definitely check out this episode of Raw if you get a chance, because I would have to guess that it's at least in the top 50 episodes they've ever done. I know that doesn't sound like high praise, but they've done almost 1,200 goddamn episodes of this show at this point, so that easily puts this one in the top 96th percentile. Bottom line, go watch it because it was a ton of fun. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at rawattitudepod. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I leave you now with a clip from the 1990 Best Picture winning movie, Dances with Wolves, where Kevin Costner and his Native American friend try to understand each other's languages. Why do I play this clip? Because it inspired the greatest piece of music the WWE has ever created, and it was written for someone who just took part in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal at WrestleMania 32. See you next time.
1: Tonka, right Here. Tonka. Tatanka. 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 Buffalo. Oh. Buffalo. (toduk) Tatanka. Buffalo.
2: Buff. 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 Buffalo. Tatanka.